Kia ora and welcome to the New Zealand Improv Festival Audio Archive. Bringing you live recordings and conversations from New Zealand's annual celebration of spontaneous theatre. In this episode, we bring you Maintaining Strong Communities, a live panel discussion about building and upkeeping strong creative groups. The following episode was recorded in front of a live audience at Bats Theatre in October 2020. Please note, due to technical difficulties, the audio quality is a bit poor at times, but the conversational content is always sweet as. And now presenting the NZIF 2020 conference series. Here at Lipto. So yeah, this uh, panel, Maintaining Strong Communities, and um, the subtitle bit stronger together. We have had festival uh, sessions about these questions over time. If it was last year again, we could uh, simply have one of those things about how we can all connect better. But uh, what has changed in the meantime? So, yeah, we're coming from a place where we're thinking more about the impact that um, COVID-19 and the lockdown and the way things are happening since for us and for society and for the performing arts have impacted on that. Um, and we will certainly try to touch on all of the ongoing issues. Stronger Together um, had me thinking, as far as I understand, about the concept of Dekofahitana, which has become very relevant for everyone. Again, um, dealing with crises, um, we were recently a team of five million, and I keep hearing about the importance of community and solidarity to all the other crises facing the world. And the way that solutions come from community and from the local and as performing artists, uh, we deal in communities and we reflect communities back on themselves and helping throughout as individuals and as practitioners, we are part of communities. So just before I break my monologue and bring in the rest of the panel, I will say, given that this festival itself is always a magnificent annual opportunity for everyone to come together and see where they're all at. And um, we've seen shows, particularly this year, that have brought together people from all over Wellington. Every one of these sessions, if you've been going along or listening to the podcast, has touched on issues relevant to um, all of the levels of community that we have from our groups right up to the impact that we have on the rest of the world. The um, many faces of improv has talked about um, negotiating consent and arranging um, internal groups in your issues, as has the Taking Care of Yourself Forum, the um, ENI Hugo um, Forum that Christine led just now, um, was talking about shared culture and code of conduct and um, how integrating and how welcoming or not um, our regions and our groups are for people, which um, is an ongoing issue. So it is um, a huge topic, and we're not going to fix the world by chatting about it for an hour. Um, but uh, it, I think particularly after such a big change and everything, it is good to be able to check in and talk about what some of us have been up to and what the shared experiences are and how after such a big uh, separation, um, we start to come back together. So, to the panelists, Christine Brooks. 
I guess, um, and I am really only active in one improv group uh, this year, which is Locomotive, uh, which was a training company that uh, we set up. Matt Powell, Gino Sullivan, Claire Harrison, and I last year, uh, and we're about to kick off with some training this year, and then COVID came along and scuppered our plans. Um, but we have managed to continue a performance element of the faculty, which is the four of us performing uh, our monthly show uh, at Bats Theatre, which has been great to have. And we also stayed in touch. Uh, we had weekly uh, Zoom chats. We didn't do any improv, we just caught up. Um, we're also friends, so it had two purposes. Um, and I didn't sort of, I'm also a first year teacher teaching English career change uh, this year, which has been quite a year to be a first year teacher. And I must say that that occupied, has occupied more perhaps of my time waking and sleeping than improv has this year. So I didn't seek out any uh, improv uh, online during lockdown. I didn't seek to participate in workshops. I didn't seek to teach workshops, watch or be part of performances. And um, I think that really, you know, what people needed from lockdown in terms of their improv connection really varied. But I was sort of at, you know, 30, 12 year olds on a Zoom call twice a day, which was more than enough interaction uh, with the outside world, to be honest. And I was very happy to just log off at the end of the day and be done. But I recognised people came from different places. Uh, anyway, that's sort of been my experience. So I haven't done a huge amount of uh, online improv, uh, but have been happy to be involved and maintain the involvement in the scene um, throughout performance this year. Um, I'm Anna Little. I'm involved with several different community improv groups, uh, mainly the Wellington Improvisation Troupe which has been running for not quite 20 years, but it's getting up there. Um, and we teach beginners classes in association with Wellington Community Education Centre at the high school. So we tend to be a, a gateway in the experience for a lot of performers in Wellington. Um, but I'm also involved with a, a meetup group in Pop that is just very casual, very drop-in involved. And I teach um, various other groups around the community. So, um, I, I carry on um, doing improv weekly improv sessions through the, through the lockdown and uh, my husband Brenton who's the coordinator of the which, and he had um, a coffee morning every day just because that was a thing that he wanted to do, it was a small thing and it was, it was a useful thing for the people who needed it uh, but I was really sad that there were people who couldn't access that at all. Um, one of the groups I was teaching when lockdown happened, about five of them, their main internet access is at the library. And as soon as all the libraries are closed, they lose access to all of that digital experience that we take for granted. They, they didn't have smartphones with internet data plans. Uh, so I felt kind of real sad that I couldn't do anything. Well, I just couldn't do that. 
uh, and also being that excessively privileged and middle class, uh, I was able to spend the money that I probably would have spent going out to the Auckland Opera Festival, which was cancelled previously. Uh, I spent that on doing courses overseas. So I got to do um, an Armando course with Armando, which was kind of quite cool. Uh, and I did courses with the Maydays and uh, Washington Improv Theatre, who are also called WIT, and we had many delightful back and forth discussions. And I found Improv Online is, I, I, the performance is not quite there somehow. Um, but, but playing with people online is still delightful. And I'm, I'm carrying on doing that. I'm still part of Shakespeare Group. Um, uh, and I was part of London's Shakespeare Group. We don't mention that was a whole little community of people that was just like once a week people doing a play reading. Uh, yeah, and so it was kind of like if we had to be shut down, I guess now was a better time than if it had been 10 years ago or 20 years ago. It would have been a way more lonely experience. I'm Emma, I am a divisor and a performer in Wellington, and I run a Tempest Theatre Company, which is I'd say we have a focus, we don't really, we just kind of do everything at the moment. Um, we, over lockdown, we did uh, a digital interactive piece of theatre that ran over three nights. So um, how the audience voted affected the ending of the story each night. And that was really successful, I was very pleased with that. It was really nice to get to work with, I mean, with, with 12 people across like three countries, which is something that you wouldn't normally get to do we just stage and we show in a theatre usually. Um, I also set up sort of a script reading session thing, which has been running for a couple of months. So that's post lockdown, but the point of it is accessibility and core theatre. So theatre that people can go to on the night, they don't have to pay $15 for a ticket because money is pretty scarce right now. Um, and just an opportunity to go out and see some of Wellington's local performers perform fun, interesting new scripts, so that was, that was quite good. Uh, I also did a lot of the international workshops when lockdown was happening. I found there was quite a lot of them that were quite accessible at the time, which was really nice um, through equity and such, and such. My team and I didn't really schedule meetups, but we did sort of hang out on Zoom occasionally and do a bit of advising and riffing through Facebook chat, which was quite nice. It was Communication in a way that we hadn't really done before, but it was quite helpful and quite gratifying in the end, I think. I, um, as Alice said, uh, in some ways it's actually the busiest that I've been creatively. Organising um, unrehearsed Shakespeare readings, which um, was based on a form that I'd done for the stage, but it did come from a very controlled place where um, trying to make it so that people could do things in the most spontaneous, interactive way they um, could. And that, that did ultimately um, work out as, I think, a way of helping um, the participants have a sense of stability. I also did um, some clown classes on your upsell and streams. I did some of the work sessions. One of the things there was just as a way of keeping stable over that time. What follows from that is how you come back in, what the leads through level two and into this has been like and whether you've changed your orientation and what you do um, artistically or practically um, and how you plan for the future because um, improv's relatively easy to 
throw shows together um, and a lot of other parts of the industry and some venues and so on. Um, we kind of reluctant to do something for the fringe next year because uh, it, it seems so far away to have to have it all organised now. We've barely gotten back into the forum again. Uh, yeah, it's simply kind of affecting that long term plan for big things. But on the other hand, totally fine to do the show next month. You know, pull that together tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. Um, I had a quite a big complex idea. I was intending to do for Fringe next year, but after our second lockdown, it was just like, I cannot afford to put, there's not even just a money thing, I can't afford to put three months of rehearsal time into a show, um, four grand, so on and so forth, when there's a very high chance it won't happen. So I've, it's made me change how it would make me consider differently how to stage shows and put things on. Like, we're going to be doing short shows for Koha out in the community this time, as opposed to doing finding a venue and doing loads of rehearsals leading up to a show. Just so it's accessible at one, two, it's a lot more public, it's a lot more open to people. And that's what's become quite important to me, I think. How do we bring art to people who may not have the ability to get it anymore these days? Yeah. Um Speaking to the first part of your question, Lyndon, how sort of shifting through, I, one of my main memories of coming out of lockdown was a workshop that we did, or a group of us, um, a couple of weeks, I think, after we were allowed to socialise in groups of more than 10. And we had a um, just a jam, basically, with a group of people and up at Tuikwaniki. And it was, the energy was, chaotic and intense in a way that was kind of delightful. It felt like um, we hadn't been in the space with so many people for a while, but just the opportunity to see each other and perform with each other in that space made me really actually rethink what it is I value about improv personally. And for me, I, I mean, I'm just speaking for myself because I have the privilege of improv mostly being something I do for leisure. It's not how I'm trying to make my um, living. And I want to do that in a shared space, in a theatre with people. Um, and I think uh, Ali and I were speaking about this briefly yesterday, uh, and she made the observation, correct me if I'm wrong, Ali, that, um, that online improv is, is a different thing. It's a different form, almost, than what our in-theatre improv is. And that's okay, like it's okay that that exists, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Um, so that was actually really a helpful insight. I've been thinking about this festival, which has been such a point through, you know, through years and years, every year we get together and there's sort of a similar group of people that come back and both, you know, nationally and also Australians and beyond. I was uh, observing yesterday, I think, to Brendan Bennett, that it sort of feels like an uncanny valley festival. It's like a festival, the reference being like something that looks so close to real but isn't, it's, that it's creepy. At first I was like, oh, it's a, it's, the festival's different, it doesn't have all the same people, we're missing all the people, and sort of a bit petulant about it, just to myself. Um, and now to all the people. Um, but what I'm kind of realizing is that it's in the same way that 
Ali observed that the form is different. This festival is a different festival. And I like the way that people are adapting. And I know that Fax Theatre um, and the Fringe are, have just announced that they're carving out the studio, I think, during um, Fringe Festival or explicitly seeking digital presentations and seeing how that can evolve. Um, I don't think at this stage that's something I'm personally going to be getting involved with, but I like that those opportunities are there. As with um, learning how to operate the, the online form, choosing to use it, I have actually thought that that's, uh, we, we all have some drafts of stagecraft and how things work on stage, but um, I suppose it's, it's relevant to group things just as, as, a, as a training point that there is a vast array of um, stuff that you can find out and stuff that you don't quite know about how to, how to run things online and how to get um, production values. Um, one of the things that some of the people attending the workshops that I ran, the people who were suddenly having to upskilling and Zoom for work purposes, but they could come and practice in the same place. Uh, so that was actually a thing I hadn't even thought of when I started my very clumsy attempts at doing uh, workshops. Uh, I, I was running a workshop before I ever attended any. Uh, so then I quickly signed up to attend some to get some more ideas. So I'm, I'm involved with um, various art communities and other things, and they all had to make that same shift and adjustment. And, and it was interesting that I've got one friend who's, who does life drawing, is how she earns most of her money. And sort of, she eventually figured out a way to do life drawing sessions via Zoom. Um, and she's carried on doing them, which is quite, it's quite fun. But it again, it's just, oh, I wonder if we're doing that. Hang on, you can. I suppose in some ways, being the, um, being the, uh, what, versatile and low overhead art form, um, what it means for improvisers is that we have a lot of talented performing artists who are bored at the moment, <laughs> but, but may be available for our use. Um, I'm doing a series of client workshops with Fraser Hoover, who's a workshop um, here, and he's in Wellington because the international touring circuit is collapsed, um, which is good for me. <laughs> yeah, we've just picked up a member who have been performing on cruise ships, um, mm -hmm. and obviously that's a career that's on hold for some time. That whole idea of like necessity as the mother of invention is kind of interesting. Thinking about it, and my the other hat I've been wearing this year, obviously as a first year teacher, was thrilling at the end of my first term to realise that I needed to quote pivot to online teaching, with, you know, on a huge lead in time, um, and suddenly reimagine how how you teach, you know, these are students you're just forming relationships with. And I probably put my energy into that rather than improv because that's what was paying my wages. Um, and how you can very quickly learn how to do things differently. But the main thing I noticed in there, and this sort of touches on what Ali was talking about earlier, is the magnification of those um, inequities. So you talked about people without access, reliable access to the internet and um, you know the school I teach at is a bring your own device school so most students had a device already or an equity device provided by the school um, but I certainly know that around around the country there you know it was a 
vast variation that only magnified the different levels um, of uh, access that people had. And yeah, thinking about that in terms of the, the arts as well is kind of, yeah, concerning the people that perhaps most need that continued access are the ones that are least likely to be able to achieve it. Yeah, we've got time to talk about um, less directly crisis-related things. So um, I was just going to do a quick check of who is in the room. Um, I know there's a lot of uh, reasonable representation of groups from Wellington at the festival, and as I said, some um, specially assembled scratch teams from all over the place, which is which is just the kind of thing that suits the agenda of our, um, our topic. But um, we've got um, Wit and Winprog and Locomotive and Emma's. Um, I don't think of myself as someone who has my own networks, but um, I'm, I'm Wit adjacent and I'm also a part of what I can't help considering the um, Jim O'Sullivan Extended Universe. Um, <laughs> uh, late night night flight in the um, soap company. Soap factory. Soap factory, yeah. Who else is here? We've got two people from outside Wellington um, in our boutique and quite local improv festival. Yeah. Um, Tower on Main. Yes. And Auckland. We'll call it Auckland. Um, <laughs> what, what else would we call it? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but sounded more ominous. <laughs> <laughs> For now, <laughs> 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 Are you referring to Keith's uh, Wacky Island? That's what it was actually. <laughs> 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 I wasn't sure if Keith was a separatist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, that aside. The nation state of Melbourne. <laughs> What I'm getting at is uh, just this is not the most convenient or fun thing to be showing up at, but just um, um, I, I know there are, um, um, and I know there are people again. Um, I think of being who have done work developing the community. One of the things I personally could do is. Um, Terms of developing things and seeing more shows. Which sucks my because thinking of Ben, I get invites from Ben, and I'm always interested because it's always interesting. <laughs> um, but I live in Lower Hutt and it's hard. Oh, the optimism. Um, is it trying to establish a Lower Hutt with outreach? That would be an example of community things, certainly. Um, and and uh, that's one of the reasons I'm interested in. Um, Nicola Pauling's Applied Improv Workshop, um, working things in community settings, and um, just down the road from me, there's an extremely community place called the Remakery. This is mostly for people out of the heart. Um, I know someone called Hayley, I'm just trying to remember her surname, but she um, was running a sort of arts festival in the heart using a um, some space that they had for free and just wanted to fill with piece of art so it could be more accessible to people in the heart. And so she was hitting up people from the French Festival and she talked to me about that. So 
I'm sure she would love, love, love to bring some people on to people of your heart. Yeah. Which I came from initially, but um, only until I was 10. Generally, if you're asked to come to something in the hut that's quite near one of the train stations, and it's very convenient. <laughs> <laughs> We've sort of drifted into this. Um, how do we maintain strong communities? What's what? What are things that we can do? If you think Impon is special, and it is, but there are communities that form around tool libraries or uh, hunting and fishing clubs, and everyone who goes to them, they're the same kind of people who work together on a hobby and get excited about it. But it is something extra, something that's worth sharing a little bit more widely in terms of empowering people to tell their own stories. And yeah, um, I guess city councils are going to be horribly strapped for funds um, for the next year or two, but it'd be kind of nice to see more community improv happening, but not elite performance level improv, but just groups of people who play together and feel better about themselves at the end of the day. So thinking kind of at the macro level, I think this is just answering a question as you wish it to be answered, London, but I think it's okay to acknowledge that we're, a lot of us have had a really tough year and that we should try and continue things, but it's also okay if right now that's tricky and it's not like improv is going to go away and never come back. So if you're, I would say this as I would say about improv in general, if you're inspired to do something and you're inspired to create a show or you're inspired to create an opportunity for the community to connect, then that's awesome. But don't feel like the weight of the world is upon you because there are also like, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it's it's not all on you to do that and in addition make sure you keep on lobbying and you know we're voting soon so think about policy parties and policies who are valuing the arts um and who don't you know think that they're completely worthless and or just for boring quote unquote woke people um <laughs> and or you know Taxpayers Union adjacent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> People who shit all over the creative New Zealand funding models and actually that funding the arts, yes, our financial situation as a country is, is not great, but it's it's as important to keep funding the arts as it is to fund lots of other things and that, that yeah, you have an opportunity to influence that with party vote. So I mean I don't think that's the specific actionable things that you were maybe talking about, London, but I do think it's still an important thing to keep in mind. We don't have we don't we as individuals are not responsible for fixing the systemic ills of society. But we can still do stuff. It's true. I think we should all do this. Yeah. It's been a really hard year for all of us as artists and not to push yourself to yeah, to, to solve society's ills because it's been such a hard year. Make the stuff you want to make and 
if you can't if you can't reach out as wide as you'd like, then push that to another part of the year, to another time when you feel ready for it. Self care is important. I'm not going to on speaking in taglines, but <laughs> look after you and yours, and focus on your work if you can. But then speaking about that, I think when we're making performance and we're making workshops and we're making things for other people that people can join us to do, we have to be conscious of the communities that we're talking to and who we're aiming towards because I know that if I put on a show at 8pm at night in central Wellington, there is a certain group of people who can come to that and a certain group who cannot. And it's the same as running workshops. If you're running a workshop every week that's like 30 bucks a week, people from... Uh, out in the heart, they're not going to be able to come in, pay a, a transport fee and pay a workshop fee every single week to come and do that. So we have to be considerate of the accessibility and the funding and how people can come to our things with and making it accessible. Okay, so we're running into audience question time. Um, does anyone have anything to say? Or you uh, there's one. The nation state of Melbourne speaks again. So, we've been talking a lot about communities and, um, and, and uh, surviving through lockdown and all this stuff. Um, I was wondering if you could share your thoughts on um, those who performance is their primary income source and how that, would, how that community is affected. Different because I get the impression, I mean, the thing talking about how you a teacher and electoral commission over there with Emma, um, you know. So I think that's a question somewhere yeah, around. Yeah. So I'll just punctuate with the phrase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I certainly, um, I've been following people and like the events industry um, doing things doing for that, um, where all of the major events have gone. I just speak to that. Um, a, a bunch of my income does come from professional theatre work, and this year, in comparison to last year, I've done two jobs. I think last year I did about fifteen, so it has been quite the drop. Um, I'm not solely like I don't solely live off theatre income, but it has been not fun to have to live through the last sort of six months with such a. There's opportunities, but they are looking for specific people from a very specific place. And that's quite hard. Um, a bunch of my friends are professional actors, and that's where they get their own income from. And I know a lot of them have been doing simulated patient work. Um, they, a lot of them are doing that online. They were doing that during lockdown, and that was where they were finding their income. But it was still a very stressful time for all of us, I feel. And I don't know how to solve that problem, but... Certainly, I would say our broader community um, about some of our friends in Melbourne who are still, you know, in form of lockdown. Yes, and I mean a number of those, you know, friends of ours are, you know, theatre and improv in particular is their source of income, and that's been pretty tough, I think. Um, you know, and and people in the states in the improv community, I mean, I think it's a real issue, and and people in New Zealand as well um, will be affected by this. I come back to well, we need to find ways to make actually practicing as an artist more sustainable and this has only made it harder but that only reiterates the need for that to be a you know funded public 
Yeah, public good. I don't know if it technically makes the definition of public good, but anyway, that's beside the point. Um, yes. Anything further from the room? Hi, I'm Kate from Whitey. Um, I, I mean, all things. Yeah. <laughs> For now. For now. <laughs> um, I'm a high school teacher, so shout out to Christine. Well, <laughs> um, I, from, a, from a positive point of view on technology, I've been really interested in that for a while. I think technology has the ability to, um, to get us connected um, to each other. And I'm really, for a long time, been interested in Skype in the classroom, um, interaction between kids internationally through different schools and all that. And the, um, the power that it has to expand the community. So we're not going to finish, we can go great, we can be um, together again physically. But if we want to be offline with a practitioner in Italy or something like that, it's still a flight. Whereas now that we're getting used to um, technology, we can connect with people internationally maybe a bit um, more easily. Um, and then with the shows, I mean, we had Tom Sainsbury and um, Waheken, we booked out two shows so quickly because everyone knew him from online. So there's maybe some potential there with the, the internet, the wider audience, the wider communities. So I'm just wondering from all of you, um, what's the positive sort of potential that you see from this in terms of connecting communities or in terms of performance online? Um, I, I found the delight of reconnecting with improv friends overseas, uh, either by going to workshops they were running, which is a way of supporting artists um, during, during the lockdown, or just making new friends are absolutely delightful. Um, and I know that one day when festivals can be travelled to again, I've got a whole bunch of new people that I already know that I was working with again. Uh, so yeah, that's that's an incredibly positive thing. Also the fascination of, uh, I, I now know someone who's a funeral director in New York, and her experience of uh, her, the, you know, sort of April, May, very different to mine, yeah. Uh, but you, you, we were in a, it was like a, an art group rather than an improv group, but very similar in terms of um, sharing your life and little control of the ways with other people and just kind of making those connections. So, yeah, I think it's probably broken that fear of talking over a video phone call. Uh, it's been broken down for a lot of people. So, yeah, hopefully that will be a positive that stays. And people are working in. So many like uh, speech therapists, um, the clients in other countries, and things like that. So it's, yeah, good stuff. It's good. This isn't a positive. This is a negative. Not what you asked for at all. But um, I read with my Nepal English students, we do a, a standard called information literacy, where they research a topic, and there's a lot of them are really interested on the effect that social media has. On, whether or not it's bringing people closer together or drawing them further apart. Some, will, some of you will have seen the recent um, Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, and I think it's really interesting considering the shift towards a more digital and online world and the opportunities that it affords, which I, I do not doubt um, uh, for real. But at the same time, some of the challenges that this more digitally connected world presents as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't think, I'm not suggesting that going to improv workshops is <laughs> online is, is, is dangerous. Um, or is it? Uh, 
stage in Wellington there was no drop-in input, like all the improv was kind of locked away in quite expensive structured classes. So I ended up starting a meetup group. Um, so there was somewhere I could go to do casual drop-in improv. Uh, so and, and that's also true the aren't shows on that you want that you get cast in. Well why not be a producer and pull together the pieces of a show yourself? So if the community that you need isn't there, you build one. I totally agree. Like 90% of the community I've found is me making ideas and people being like, 
this is kind of cool, and then joining in with me. Some of my closest friends are just because I did a show last year that needed a certain bunch of people, and now we are amazingly close. Uh, alternatively, go to things, join in with student films, talk to people, go on Wellington Actors Group and just go to things. Half my friends I found because we just end up going to the same productions and just keep talking. That's how I found my way into these communities. Just talking to strangers. Well, not strangers, <laughs> but people at theatre things. Mm. Volunteer to do your work. <laughs> and actually, we're very cool. Learn how to do lights. Oh, that's such a good skill. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Like, find your people and make the thing happen. Like, just do it. Um, I think that is a different answer to be like, do you want to be part of the community and have, like, becoming a professional? I think like, that's more complex than, like, if you want to make your living from these things, that's a different set of questions. But if you want a place to be, Part of the community where you get to create and do your thing, yeah. Go out, find people, and make some stuff happen. Yeah, I think um, uh, as as Ben said in the last session, I think better or worse, I think a lot of existing groups are hard to get um, a level of seniority where you get taken seriously. I think you can. Uh, Join them where you can, if you can afford classes, that's great. And then um, if you think you've got what it takes, uh, grab a couple of the friends you just made and, and you probably would be best to do it yourself. <laughs> couple of final summary thoughts I've written as action points to look after you and yours and vote. So, thank you everyone, thank you to the festival. Thank you to my marvellous panellists, Christine, Ali, and Emma. Glorious ladies, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that they know what's And I am, as it were, the Charlie to these angels. <laughs> Thank you and goodbye. This episode was produced and edited by me, Aaron Douglas, and made possible thanks to the New Zealand Improv Trust, Creative New Zealand, and Victoria University's internship programme. The New Zealand Improv Festival Close to Home ran 3rd to the 10th of October 2020 at BATS Theatre. Learn more about it at improvfest.nz or find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.